It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Now, Hunt Palmer. Palmer on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. Holding down the middle of the day. Live from the Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge Studios. This is on Palmer. Half the work week in the rearview mirror. Wednesday edition of the Hunt Palmer Show. We are officially working towards the weekend. Hope your week's had a good start. Thanks for hanging out here. 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. Of course, the morning guys and Matt up in Nashville for SDC football media days. That coverage brought to you by Hudco Roofing, Rev Business, and Relief Windows. And we appreciate those folks for getting our guys up there and producing some content. T-Bob producing more content maybe than some others. Uh, I've seen some videos of him doing some honky-tonking last night. Uh, Had the cowboy hat going, had the dance moves going. Uh, Saw a great video that Rivers put up that's got like 200,000 views of a singer in a bar last night who is wearing a Georgia number 11 jersey and Aaron Murray, who is up there with Snaps and T-Bob, and they were up at the bar, and Aaron Murray's on the stage. There's three people on the stage, the two guys in the band and Aaron Murray. And the guy in the Aaron Murray jersey looks at Aaron Murray and says, as he's dancing, says, hey, boss, what's your name? (laughs) And you can't hear this part because it's in a loud bar. But very clearly, Aaron Murray leans over to him and, like, points to his chest and goes, you're wearing my jersey. And the guy, like, what? You're, you're wearing my jersey. And then T-Bob runs up and, like, points, like, you're actually wearing Aaron Murray's jersey. That's Aaron Murray. And the guy was, like, blown away. And I got to think the guy, I mean, he's wearing a Georgia jersey, like, to the gig. Maybe it's just because he knows SEC Media Days is in town and maybe there's some Georgia fans there or something. I don't know. But you can't be that big a Georgia fan if you're wearing the Aaron Murray jersey and Aaron Murray's standing right next to you, and you don't know. Like, that's it's a little odd to me. Maybe I'm expecting too much of said country singing guy, but that was maybe the funniest moment of uh, of last night's festivities. Um, but those guys are doing a great job up in Nashville, and uh, it's been fun listening to, to all the content that they have created. Let's talk about some of the teams that are taking their turn at the podium today. And the first one I want to talk about is Arkansas. Uh, Sam Pittman took over a program that was flat broke. Chad Morris won the same amount of SEC football games at Arkansas as my cat, Teeny, And she is not known for her offensive prowess. She mainly lays down and takes naps all day and rips up the furniture and gets stuck in the pantry. That's what Teeny does. Chad Morris basically accomplished all of that as the head coach at Arkansas and collected a massive amount of money, far more than Teeny has, in coaching Arkansas football. But Sam Pittman took over for Chad Morris slash Teeny, and it was bad shape. And then COVID hit. So Sam Pittman in his first year, they won three, they went three and seven, which doesn't look great. But compared to what had gone on the last two years, it was great. And they built on that the next year with a nine and four season, where they went four and four. And coming back next year, the, the following year, which was this past season, 2022, 
you're expecting really big things from Arkansas because they've got KJ Jefferson back and they've got Kendall Browse back and they've got Barry Odom back and they've got Sam Pittman back. And it feels like this is the team that's really got a chance to have a great season. And quite frankly, with all that buildup going seven and six and three and five in the league was a little underwhelming. KJ got hurt. I know. But you don't get a ton of swings at championship-level football at Arkansas. It's it's not realistic for somebody to take over at Arkansas and have, like, five or six really good teams in a row. Like, that's not going to happen. That can happen at Auburn. That does happen at Bama. That does happen at LSU. That could happen at A&M. That's happening at Georgia. It can happen at Florida. It can happen at Tennessee. It's probably not going to happen at Arkansas. So you feel like you, you've kind of wasted an opportunity, and we'll see if that's the case. But you lost Kendall Bryles. He's moved on. Arkansas has led the nation in explosive plays the last two years. You lost Barry Odom. I think he's a pretty damn good defensive coordinator. He's now the head coach at UNLV. So you've got some shakeup for the first time in the Pittman era. On offense, KJ Jefferson is back, and he's really good. In his career, he's produced 7,245 yards and 67 touchdowns. That's really good. They bring back Rocket Sanders, who kind of busted onto the scene last year as one of the best backs in the league. He ran for 1,443 yards and 10 touchdowns last year. So that's the foundation of what you're going to do. You've got one of the best quarterbacks in the conference, if not the best, and one of the best running backs in the conference, if not the best. But the offensive line, which is Sam Pittman's baby, has got some turnover. You're replacing your tackles. You do have some veterans in the middle of that line, but you're you're replacing your tackles. And once again, like they did with Hazleton last year, Hazelwood last year, they had to go to the portal to get some wide receivers, and they haven't found the next Traylon Burks. That, that guy has not shown up. But the guy who's tasked with putting all this together is Dan Enos. And I will say this. I thought Dan Enos did a really good job under Brett Bielema at Arkansas. He was the Brandon Allen coordinator. I thought that they were were rock solid. They were built on running the football. They lived on some play action stuff. They used the tight ends. Had Henry, and it was it was it, it was good. I thought it, it looked um, creative and efficient. But he went to Maryland, and it wasn't very good. And now we'll see what that hire is. Sam Pittman was asked about Dan Enos earlier today, and it was kind of a condescending question. And Sam Pittman kind of, he's a really nice guy, by the way, Sam Pittman. He's not going to make a scene or kind of bristle, but he did he, he did kind of bristle at the question. He was like, is that a question? It was, we'll have the sound later, but it was, it was a condescending question. And I'm, I'm curious how that looks, because I thought Kendall Browse did an awesome job. Defensively, you lose Barry Odom, you lose Drew Sanders, you lose Bumper Pool. Bumper finished his 37 at Arkansas and decided to move on. And you bring in a new coordinator from Central Florida who was the, the D.C. under Gus the last couple of years. And I think the best two players on Arkansas's defense are Dwight McLaughlin and Landon Jackson. McLaughlin was on the team last year, was productive in terms of interceptions, and Jackson's going to media day, or is there today. We know those two guys are former Tigers. But Arkansas last year 
If I were to tell you that they were bad in terms of defending the pass, that would be a gross underassessment. They were atrocious against the past. They were the worst pass defense in college football last year. Awful. So you lose your best pass rusher, you lose your best tackler, and you got a unit of defensive backs that stunk on ice last year. That defense is concerning to me. I think Arkansas's defense might be really bad again. And the question is, can they do enough on offense to make up for it? And I wonder if having an offense that's built around being physical and running the ball is going to complement a defense that may give up a lot of points. You need to be explosive to make up for having the poorest defense. And while I think K.J. Jefferson's awesome, I don't never think of him as explosive. I think of him as steady and really tough to tackle on short yardage downs and doesn't make mistakes. He's explosive when, when Traylon Burke's the first-round wide receivers out there. I, I'm, I'm a little bearish on Arkansas. They got BYU coming to Fayetteville, but the road games are going to be really tough. At LSU is going to be really tough. At Bama is going to be really tough. Ole Miss and Arkansas is always a weird game. That one's in Oxford. And maybe they catch a little break on at Florida. But what to me is the key to this Arkansas season, because they're not going to win 10 games, and I don't think they're going to win three games. The key to this Arkansas season, whether it's a six-win season or an eight-win season, to me, is they have got to take care of business at Reynolds Razor Stadium. They have got to win their home games. Because you're playing LSU on the road, you're playing BAM on the road, you're playing AM on the road, you're playing Ole Miss on the road, you're playing Florida on the road. What do you have at home? You got Mississippi State, first year head coach. You got Auburn, first year head coach. You got Missouri, they're not that good. They have got to go 3 0 in their conference home games. Every conversation is framed differently based on what team you're talking about. We're talking about Bama. How do I start the conversation in the first hour? Are they going to win the national championship? That's what you start with. We start with LSU. Are they going to win the West? Can they make the playoff? That's where you start. With Arkansas, it's, well, is it going to be five, six, seven, eight wins? Like, where are you going to go? And the swing games, to me, are not at Bama. It's not at LSU. Arkansas is not going to come here and win. It's Mississippi State, Auburn, and Missouri. You go one and two in those games on your home field, you're not going to make a bowl game. You go three and zero, oh, that's a good year. You're going to have a good year. I think their home games are vital to what they're trying to do up there in Fayetteville. And look, Sam Pittman built some momentum. And momentum's a funny word in a transfer portal era where the the, the rosters overhaul so quickly. But if you go from three and seven to nine and four to seven and six to six and six, you kind of you're kind of stalling. And then you're gonna lose your quarterback. So I think it's an important year for Sam Pittman to to continue to stack up wins and to to win their home games, sneak up on two SEC teams away from home, go beat Florida, beat AM in Arlington, and then all of a sudden you're you're in good shape. 
eight, nine wins. That's a great year. But I'm I'm struggling with that offense, with that defense. I think they could be in trouble on the defensive side of the ball in uh, in Fayette. But we'll talk about Florida coming up here in 15 minutes. The Kentucky Wildcats next on the Hunt Palmer Show. You are listening to Hunt Palmer. You're listening to Hunt Palmer on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. All right, let's talk Kentucky, who will take their turn at the podium up in Nashville today. Whenever I think about Kentucky, it may be just me, uh, but I just think about the the way that I watched that 2022, 2021 LSU-Kentucky game where Kentucky just beat the brakes off LSU from start to finish. And I'm sitting there looking at the TV going, this is not supposed to happen. Like, that was foul. That was disgusting. It's probably the way Kentucky fans sit there when, like, they lose a basketball game to South Carolina by 20 points. It's like, this is, this is unacceptable. This, this cannot happen. And that was kind of the height of the Stoops era, was that team, maybe even that night, where you're talking about a team a year and a half removed from a national championship, that Kentucky's just running off the field and a brand that strong coming into Lexington just getting embarrassed. And, and Ed Ogeron talked about this after he was let go, you know, kind of looking back on his career at LSU and said, you know, I, that, was, that was when you knew things were in big, big trouble. And they were big, big trouble. You just can't get embarrassed by Kentucky. But Kentucky hasn't really backed that up. Like, there was a good run there. So last year they went seven and six. You take last year out, take the seven and six out. They were 33 and 17 over four years. And that's a really good run. They had a couple of 10 win seasons. That's awesome, awesome football for Kentucky. But like I said, last year, seven and six. And that was a year with the, the big expectation. And you've got the potential first round quarterback in Will Levis. You've got some momentum in, in recruiting and, and on the field. And you're 4-0, you've won at Florida, which Kentucky never does. And you feel like, okay, Kentucky's kind of arrived. I know Hester's big on them, and you're looking. And after that 4-0 start, they went 3-6. and They lost to Vanderbilt. Listen to some of these offensive numbers with the dude at quarterback. I'm using Kentucky terms here. 19 points against Ole Miss. Anybody confusing them for 11 Alabama's defense? I don't think so. 14 against South Carolina. Tennessee was awesome on offense last year. Their defense got maligned a little bit. Kentucky scored six on them. Six. Missouri, not exactly the purple people eaters. 21 points for Kentucky against Missouri. 21 on Vandy. Come on. Three teams scored 50 on Vanby last year. Kentucky scored 21. Six against Georgia, it happens. But then they played Iowa with no Levis, and they scored zero in the bowl game. Got shut out. Just awful, awful offensive production from Kentucky last year. The offensive line was atrocious. Could not block anybody. They could not run the ball. Levis was running for his life. Maybe that's why some teams really liked Will Levis, because he was able to make something out of Nothing with that offensive line. 
but they couldn't score. So Liam Cohen's coming back. He was our offensive coordinator two years ago for that game that LSU got dusted in. Goes out to the Rams. Now he's back. And I got to tell you, I didn't realize what statistics Devin Leary had put up at NC State. And he's going to be Kentucky's starting quarterback. Last year, he got hurt. He, he tore a pectoral after six games. But the year before that, Devin Leary threw for 3,400 yards, 35 touchdowns, and five picks. Like, that's legit. I know Duke and Boston College aren't awesome. I get it. Georgia Tech stinks. But 35 touchdowns to five picks in a Power Five, it's still impressive. And that's the guy that Kentucky hopes that they've got. They don't have Chris Rodriguez to turn around and hand the ball off to anymore. He's moved on. But Barry and Brown kind of rose to national acclaim last year. He was a five-star recruit. Excuse me, that Kentucky got. He... um, Ran a kickback last year. He's got ridiculous game-breaking ability. And they got to find a way to get him the ball, and I think Devin Leary will. He's the key on offense with that offensive line. Defense is what Stoops hangs his hat on. They got six starters back. They got an All-American in, in Deion Walker at defensive tackle. And I think that Mark Stoops will make their defense decent. But my concern with Kentucky is not really what their program is because there's a ceiling there and Stoops has probably already hit it. He won 10 games a couple of times and he probably should have jumped if there was another opportunity and he's serious about winning a national championship because that's not happening in Kentucky. But my concern with Kentucky is the division around them, which will dissolve after next year. But if Tennessee gets better, looks like looks like they are, if Napier wakes Florida up, if South Carolina under Beamer becomes a, a consistent, strong program for South Carolina, but you know what Georgia's got. And how much can Kentucky keep up with some of that? They can't keep up with Tennessee. They don't. Oh, by the way, are you aware that even though Kentucky, Tennessee has gone through a 15-year disaster Tennessee has still won 35 of 38 against Kentucky. Pull up that Wikipedia page for that rivalry. It's painted orange. Looks like a bucket of orange paint got spilled on it. 35 of 38. They're not going to beat Georgia anytime soon. And, and like what I'm saying with South Carolina, like Kentucky's beaten South Carolina 7 out of 9. Like that's a win that you're getting. And South Carolina's football history is terrible. But if Shane Beamer kind of wakes that up a little bit, where does Kentucky find its wins? Yeah, you can try to find it against a Derek Dooley, Tennessee. Yeah, if Muschamps at Florida or they're straggling through with McIlwain, like, yeah, you can maybe find one there. But if those schools wake up, Kentucky gets passed to me. So for this year in Kentucky, they got to start 4 0. You got Ball State, Eastern Kentucky. Akron and at Vanderbilt. You've got to start 4-0. Because at that point, you start to play the big boys. Here comes Georgia. Here comes a game against Florida. Here comes Tennessee. And who does Kentucky draw out of the SEC West? Perhaps the worst draw you can have. That is a home game against Bama. Because that's a home game in the league that you're probably not going to win. 
So they've got to get off to a good start. If you, for some reason, drop a game to to Vandy or Ball State, which shouldn't happen, like it's just hard to find the other wins. And I'm just, I know about the, the recruiting and the player development and, and, and the, the program that Stoops built because they allowed him some time. But I'm always, 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 always going to be skeptical about a program that builds itself on the back of three stars. And Kentucky picks off a four-star here and there. They even pick off a five-star here and there. Not often, but sometimes. But the program is built on three stars. You build a program on three stars, I will find you a program that's more often than not going to settle in at seven or eight wins in the Southeastern Conference. And that's what I think Kentucky is. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think the quarterback they added is better than I thought when he, when they added him. I don't watch NC State play. My apologies. 35 touchdowns and five picks. Pretty salty. But the offensive line I don't like. And the three-star cavalry I don't like. The three-star cavalry is not going to hang with Tennessee right now. It's not going to hang with Georgia right now. It's not going to hang with Florida for long. You can beat Mississippi State with them. You can beat Eastern Kentucky and Ball State. You can go to Nashville and win. But I believe that the Stoops era in Kentucky has probably peaked. We'll see what the new scheduling looks like. But adding Oklahoma and Texas to the league doesn't exactly make me feel sunshine and roses about Kentucky adding another win here or there. So, it's just, I'm a big recruiting guy. I'm a big stargazer. I like the talent. I like the pros. I like the dudes. Kentucky's got developmental players who play in a good scheme. And that's good to make sure you don't go three and nine. They won't. But it's not great if you're going to try to top what you've done previously in the Stoops era, and I don't think they will. So I'm not huge on Kentucky this year. Um, I'll be pulling for them against Bama, though. (laughs) Won't you join me? We'll talk about Florida next on the Hunt Palmer Show. You are listening to Hunt Palmer. This is Hunt Palmer on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. This time every year, we as LSU fans have been conditioned for 31 years to be very interested in what Florida is doing. 
that's our permanent opponent. That's who we play. And we'll play him again next year, so that continues. But there's going to come a time here in the next couple of years where I guess that kind of goes away. And I know there's a big faction of you all that that cherish that rivalry, that love that rivalry, that, that enjoy the huge moments that we've seen playing that team. Obviously, 97 comes to mind immediately. Obviously, 07 comes to mind immediately. And those were classic games between two powerhouse programs. Well, I guess, tough to call us a powerhouse program in 97, but Florida certainly was. But classic games between two of the great programs in the history of the sport. And it's one you look forward to, and I don't begrudge you for that at all. I would just suggest for me personally... I don't see playing Florida in Tiger Stadium as significantly different over the next 20 years than playing Texas in Tiger Stadium. It'll conjure basically the same emotion for me over time. It didn't take me very long to get in the swing of things with LSU and Texas A&M. And LSU's still going to play Florida every other year. It's just not going to be an every year thing. What irritates me is if I'm, you know, in a, in a random 03 year where I'm trying to win the SEC West and my competition is Ole Miss and they're playing freaking Vanderbilt and I'm playing Florida, I'm not super happy about that. So it's just going to be a little bit of a different situation for us as LSU fans moving forward with this Florida rivalry. And it'll still be a rivalry and we'll still pay some attention to them, but we're not going to be as locked in or at least me covering them and getting ready for shows and all that dealing with the Florida Gators year in and year out. I will tell you this, because it's on tape, you can go back and listen to it. When LSU was looking for a new head football coach a couple years ago, I wanted Billy Napier to be the guy. He was number one on my list. I talked to people in Lafayette that had dealt with him and understood kind of what was going on there in that program. And I'm certainly not qualified to hire coaches, but I thought he was the guy. I thought he'd do a great job recruiting the state of Louisiana. I thought he'd put great people around him. And I thought he would foster a really, really strong program. And he may have here, and he may in Florida. But year one was a little bumpy, and we'll see what year two brings. Recruiting looks a little bit better for them at this point than it did this time last year. But they went 6-7 and seven last year. They were 3-5, and five, and they lost uh, five of their last seven games last year, including losing to Vanderbilt for the first time since 1988. I was born in 1988. So that's bumpy. I have no idea what the Colts were doing with their first-round draft pick, but Anthony Richardson's not playing for the Gators anymore. Here's Osiris Torrance. Those are kind of the two biggest name players for them last year. I think the offense, as I look at this Florida team, kind of do some reading, understanding what the personnel kind of looks like, it feels like this offense is going to be very run-heavy for Florida. They went to the transfer portal. They got... Online uh, offensive line additions from Baylor, from Kentucky, from Bama. Uh, Austin Barber last year for Florida was a freshman uh, all-conference player. So they've got what should be a pretty steady offensive line. And the backs we know are very, very good. Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne combined last year as freshmen to run for 1,560 yards and 16 touchdowns. And both those guys are back. So to me, as I look at this Florida team... I see a group in the offensive line they've revamped and hope is going to be a strength of the team, and I see two great running backs. I think they're going to be a run-heavy team. Well, if I'm looking 
for a quarterback who's comfortable with a run-heavy scheme and a big offensive line, what school would I go to in the portal to find that quarterback? That would be Wisconsin. And that's what Florida did, bringing in Graham Mertz. Graham Mertz is not a great quarterback. He's not. He has not been in his time in college. He has played a lot. He started 32 games for Wisconsin. He threw 38 touchdown passes and 26 picks, which is nothing to write home about. He completed 60% of his throws, not great. And you wonder, does he run? Does he count? Can they get out on the edge? The quarterbacks? Well, Graham Mertz, in his 32 games as a starter for Wisconsin, ran for negative 21 yards. Taking stats, sacks out is tough, but not exactly a huge threat with his legs. On the edge, it's going to be Ricky Pearsall, who's their number one guy coming back. For whatever reason, Florida has struggled to have really good wide receiver play over the last decade. But to me, this Florida offense is going to run the ball a lot. What's the defense going to look like? Because last year, it was not good. It was worse than not good. It was awful. They allowed 49% third down conversions last year, and they gave up 30-plus points in six losses. Their defensive coordinator, Patrick Tony moved on to the NFL, and they brought in an even younger coach, a 29-year-old defensive coordinator. They went to the transfer portal heavy. They brought in seven guys on the front seven from the transfer portal. I mean, LSU was heavy in the transfer portal on the on the defensive front. Florida even more so. It just doesn't look like a very talented team in Florida standards. This, to me, looks like a roster that Kentucky would throw out. It looks like a roster South Carolina might throw out. It just, I don't see the talent. I know Dan Mullen wasn't a great recruiter. I know Billy Napier's first recruiting class wasn't awesome. So it shouldn't come as a shock that you look up and down this roster. There are very few guys you would consider for the all-conference team. There are very few proven commodities with big-time production. You've got two backs and a wide receiver that have been good. You've got a couple of DBs that have been really good. But that's, that's kind of it. I think if you look across the SEC, Georgia, Tennessee, LSU, Bama, A&M, all significantly more talented than Florida. When you look at recruiting rankings, draftable players, preseason all-conference lists, Florida is, is in that tier in terms of resources, winning tradition, all that kind of stuff over the last 30 years. But this team just doesn't look like that to me. And last year, we talked about the start they really needed to get off on, and they did beat Utah. That was huge. They don't beat Utah. It's a five-win season. And we thought they would lose that game. Well, guess what? You're starting with Utah again. This time, you got to go to Utah. You got to go to Salt Lake. And Cam Rising is back as starting quarterback. I, I don't know anything about Utah other than that Cam Rising's their starting quarterback, and he's back. And they're probably going to be really old because Utah and BYU are always really old. So is it a great team to catch right out of the gate? Probably not. They handled him last year. Richardson played great. But that's a bumpy start there. Then you play McNeese, and what's game three? Tennessee. It's in the swamp, but it's Tennessee. So I'm looking at a very, very possible one and two start for Florida coming off the heels of six and seven. If I know anything about Florida's fan base and anything about what goes on around that program, they don't have a lot of tolerance. When things go south, 
they back out. Must champs not winning a ton? Eh, 60% capacity in the swamp. Like, they will, they'll bail. They will. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And I think that's early. But guess what? It doesn't get a lot easier down the line. You're playing Georgia, not in the swamp. You're playing LSU, not in the swamp. Your other out of conference besides Utah, who contends for their conference every year, another team that might contend for its conference, Florida State. You know some things about them too. They're going to be pretty good. Jordan Travis, pretty good. Beat Florida last year. So your crossover is, is Arkansas at home. That's pretty good, but KJ Jefferson's the better quarterback in that game, I'll tell you. So, I don't love this. There is a reason why Vegas over-unders for Florida are hovering around six. Because if you lose two non-conference games, which, they'll be underdogs, and you've got Georgia and LSU, and you've got Tennessee, I mean, it's hard to start bottling up wins. It's hard to get to eight wins for this team. When I tell you the talent level looks like a Kentucky, looks like a South Carolina, then you look at the schedule, a lot of teams better than that on your schedule. So it's weird to say, and somebody always proves us wrong in these things. LSU was that team last year. But bringing in Graham Mertz is not giving me the warm and fuzzies. So, I think that Billy Napier is okay right now. The recruiting class looks pretty good, and it's pretty commonly accepted that the roster that Napier inherited from Dan Mullen was not very good. But I'll tell you what, if this year goes real bumpy like we think it may, there won't be any grace period in year three. It is go win now because that Florida fan base will tune you out. You do have a great opportunity. You've got real opportunities for huge wins. But I'm not seeing it and not liking it. So I, I don't I don't like Florida this year. I don't like them. I probably like them fourth or fifth in the SEC East at this point. We'll get the projections tomorrow. Tomorrow's the last day of media days, and we'll get how the, the writers and media assembled there rank the teams in the East, West, and overall. And you know that George will be picked nearly unanimously to win the East and the Southeastern Conference. I think LSU is going to be picked to to win the West. And I think Florida is going to be a tick down. It's going to be Georgia and Tennessee up top. And I think there's probably going to be more momentum behind South Carolina than Florida. So that could put them fourth. And that's just not what Florida's fans are very comfortable with. So we'll see when they uh, roll it out tomorrow and certainly when they roll it out to kick it out in Salt Lake City to play against Utah. That's our look at the th- uh, four teams that were out there at Media Days today. In the first hour, we talked a little Bama. And in this hour, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Billy Napier's Florida Gators. We'll take one more time out. Come back and close it out. Wednesday edition of the Hunt Palmer Show. You're listening to Hunt Palmer.
You're listening to Hunt Palmer on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. One more morning up in Nashville for our guys T-Bob Bear and Jacob Hester. I don't know if y'all caught this morning. T-Bob was fighting it a little bit on the voice front. I can relate. Omaha was tough for me on that Monday. Uh, I wasn't on Broadway on a hon- in a honky-tonk until the early morning hours. I was trying to will our team to a national championship with my voice. and I don't know how much I contributed, but I certainly lost my voice. Oh, man, T-Bob was fighting it a little this morning. But got through it. That's what champions do. You play hurt, you play through pain, and you perform. And that's what T-Bob gave us this morning. I'm sure he'll be right back at it again tonight and tomorrow morning. That'll be our last day of coverage from up in Nashville. That coverage, of course, brought to you by our friends at Hudco Roofing, Rev Business, and Relief Windows. All right, let's play some take it or leave it. Jacob Beck. All right, first one here. The soggy golf course will compromise the Open Championship. Take it or leave it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Kind of. Like, it's still going to be great. I'm in on the Open Championship. I think it's awesome. Um, and I would rather see it on a baked-out golf course where the ball's running 120 yards. That's the way the thing was designed. That's what makes it interesting. The ball gets on the ground. The players lose control of it. And you, you see what, what happens. And that makes things more strategic. The soggy golf course allows them to play a little bit more target golf, which is a little more Americanized, um, and it allows them to hit more drivers. But it's still going to be a great tournament. I just wish it was on a, a browned-out golf course. Rory McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler, and John Rahm against the field this week at the Open Championship. Take it or leave it? I would leave it. Those are the three betting favorites, and there's a real chance that those guys could, could win it. Rory's been playing great for two years now, and... Um, has been knocking on the door of these things. John Rahm is among the most talented players in the world and has taken about a month and a half off here. Uh, and so we'll see what he's got and he's rested. And Scotty's numbers over the last two years are just a joke. I mean, what Scheffler is doing week in and week out is remarkable. He's approaching Tiger territory with some of these top 15 statistics. If you're not aware of what Scotty Scheffler's doing here um, in his last in his appearances. I mean, listen to this. Scottish Open, this is just in order chronologically. Scottish Open third, Travelers fourth, U.S. Open third, Memorial third, Charles Schwab third, PGA second, Byron Nelson fifth, Heritage 11th, Masters 10th, Match Play fourth, Players first, Arnold Palmer fourth, Genesis 12th, Phoenix E1, Amex 11th. He has not been outside the top 15 since the CJ Cup last fall when he got 45th. That is like 16 events straight. He's been in the top 15, and he's been in the top 10 in his last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven starts. He's unconscious, and we'll see if it translates over there. But if you're going to give me the field in an event that can be so wonky like the Open Championship can be, I'll, I'll take those guys. Based on Tony Pollard and Saquon Barkley's contract situations, the running back's position is in trouble. Take it or leave it. Got to take it. I'll take it. I mean, it. They, they bargained this thing where you're locked into your rookie deal, they can franchise tag you. If they franchise tag you and you don't agree to a contract, they literally are not allowed by the league rule to negotiate you with you during the season. So Saquon Barkley saying he's going to hold out, that does him no good because they can't restructure his contract until the season's over. So he's not going out there to potentially play on a deal that he's not happy with. And if something happens to him and he goes to free agency, 
he's an aging running back coming off an injury, there's no guarantee he gets another big contract. So, yeah, they put this stuff in, in place, and when you don't allow your young stars to renegotiate early and the, the teams don't have any prerogative to do so because they're locked into play, and if you don't, you don't get any money, like, it's, it's a bad deal for running backs because teams are going to force-feed you the ball, give you all these carries, not restructure your contract, not give you a new one, and then cut you loose when it's over. And then no one wants to hire, uh, wants to sign you because you're 27, 28. It's a bad spot for running backs uh, in terms of making mega deals, and he's as good as they're, they're, they come. All right, last one here. Nashville hot chicken. Take it or leave it. A little meaty days action there. I'll take it. I'll take it. I don't uh, – trust me, I'll get the eye rolls. People go nuts. I don't love spicy food. I do like crawfish to have kick. I, I, I enjoy that. Some gumbo with the kick is great as well. I'm not eating fire in the whole wings. I think that's repulsive. I don't want like really spicy jalapenos on burgers and stuff. Like that's not in my bag. I don't love spicy food. So a, a hot chicken sandwich with too much kick and tang is going to be too much. But I love the fried chicken. If we go easy on on the hot sauce, then I'm I'm in for it. If you want to get carried away with it, start making my you know eyes water and my cheeks swell up and my not be able to feel my tongue i'm out on that that's an uncomfortable feeling it's not enjoyable i would prefer not go there but i'm in on nashville hot chicken sandwiches i'm in on nashville period it's just a great city i love country music i love live music uh i love centralized bar areas like uh broadway that just have a lot of people coming together to have some fun um and it's 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 booming i'm i'm bummed out that i think my best friend's gonna be leaving the Nashville area in the next uh, probably 12 months because he's lived there for a few years. I actually flew up there the day after the NBA COVID thing went nuts. I flew up there for the SC basketball tournament and then the world shut down and I had to book it back to the airport to fly back to New Orleans because we thought they were going to ground all the planes. So I'm in on Nashville. It's a great place and I'm sure I'll I'll go back uh, time and time again in the, in the future. That's it for Take It or Leave It. Today, lots and lots and lots of football. We opened talking about Auburn. Then we talked about Alabama. We did do What If Wednesday, which deviated from football a bit. Played some trivia. If you want to test your SEC football coaches' knowledge, you can go back to the end of hour number one. Uh, then we had Arkansas, Kentucky, and Florida in hour number two. If you missed any of it, you can always catch it on demand, 1045ESPN.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and, of course, on YouTube. All of our stuff on demand every single day. We're going to try to raise some money for the Baton Rouge Children's Advocacy Center. If you want to do that, Go to my Twitter profile, at HuntPalmer88. Any donations are awesome. That uh, link is pinned to the profile. We're going to hand things off to Matt Moscona up in Nashville. See you tomorrow, same time, same place. It's the Hunt Palmer Show.